welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Matthew chapter 7, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew writing to an audience of Jews, representing Christ as king of the Jews. is a direct link between the Old Testament. That's why we find Matthew first in the canon, because it is a direct link. As Matthew represents Jesus, the Son of God, as king uh, of the Jews and king of the world. And they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a king. And Matthew says, here he is. And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we have Jesus' most famous sermon. My wife thinks I preach long. This is three chapters. And they hung out all day for it. Matthew 7, if you want to stand as we honor God's Word, it is worthy of our honor. And I hope you never get tired of me saying I am grateful to have a copy or a few copies of God's Word in a language that I can read. Do you have a copy you can read this morning? You understand there are people today who don't have a copy of the Word of God they can read in their own language. That's always, that's never neglect to be grateful for God's Word. In Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Probably a familiar passage to many churchgoers. Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be who find it. I'm going to do my best to preach this very clearly this morning. But I want us, before we sit down, while we have the copy of God's Word in front of us, I want us to look at two phrases, one in each verse. The end of verse 13, many there be that go in thereat. Many go in this way, the way of destruction. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, the last phrase, and few there be who find it. Now, before I get wound up here in a second, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of, I mean, when Jesus speaks, it's important. This is his sermon of all sermons teaching us how to live what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And he says, enter the straight gate, the difficult way. There are, he said it, not me, not the denomination, not a religion, Jesus, the final say, the authority. He says, few there be who enter this way. But many entered the broad path. 
The reality of this text is that in this room, which we, we're not the same sample of the world because we're in a conservative Baptist church today, but the reality is in life in general, in the world, there are far more on the path to destruction than the few who are on the path that leads to everlasting life. And the simple nature of this statistic, Jesus statistic, the same is true in churches. Not, not so much the many and the few because we have a select group of the population in here. Everybody with me? I don't work for Pew Forum or research, but we can figure that out statistically. But the reality is, if this is true, there are people in churches all over the world today. There are people claiming to be Christian today who are not part of the few. When we leave here today, as this text is opened up to us and we hear Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question, which path am I on? Which way am I on? Because it is a matter of life and death. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being so clear. Pray your Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us that we can make application in our life. And certainly if there's a person here today who's not on the path to life, that they would see their need for today and make you Lord of their life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Simple title is the way of life. Jesus says, enter in the straight gate in verse 13, but notice in verse 14, I'll come back to this, because is a continuation of verse 13. Jesus says, enter into the straight gate because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life. The way of life. I don't know why, but I'm going to be in full disclosure and honesty. My sermons for the new year, except for last Sunday, which was at home in front of my fireplace, which according to the, the viewership, y'all like that. So I don't know if we need to get a fireplace in here or what. Maybe me get a little chair and sit back and sip my coffee while I, I'll do it when I'm 90 like Charles Stanley. I'm not. I, don't look for me up here at 90. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Some of you are like, do we have to wait that long? That's all right. Either way. It'll be much earlier than that. But I've really had this, I guess, leadership from God about direction for us. I, I love what Jessica said because what's one of the things I've been thinking about even through COVID, and we've talked about this over the last couple of years and periodically in staff meetings, and I've used the word connection a lot. And and what can we do to make sure we don't lose connection with each other? It's difficult in a church of more than 50 already to keep connection, but when you have a church of more than 50 or more than 200 or 300 or however many we have at this point, we're working to whittle down that number. But whatever you have, it's difficult to keep connection, but then in COVID, it's kind of all over the place. And so we're trying to do what's right strategically as far as pastors, as far as our deacons. And, and Jessica said, you know, to, to kind of regain that connection with the women, it's, it's difficult. And we're trying to strategically do that. And with that thought in mind, maybe this is where I'm at with 
uh, a sermon a few weeks ago on the directions for the road ahead, and then the week after that, the light of God's Word, talking about the direction, talking about our path. Just for us to connect with each other, we have to know where we're at. And for us to keep the connection with God the way it needs to be, we got to know where we're at. Does that make sense? Uh, usually, our, our acknowledgement of where we're at spiritually determines our connection with God. Now, he's connected. He's there. He's not leaving. But if we're quite honest with ourselves, we understand our spiritual nature usually determines how close we are to him. So, we have to know where we're at. And so, when I, maybe, maybe God is leading me to help us to understand where we're at, where we're going. I think today when we think about the way of life, it's clear that Jesus, maybe if it's possible, wanted to oversimplify the decisions that we have to make. There's two ways. There's two roads. There's two paths. I've heard this all my life in church, and I've said this a lot in church. You're, you're in one of two places today. You're lost, and you don't have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, or you're saved, and you do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are not in between. He said, you're for me, or you're against me. He said, no man can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. No, more, no one can serve God and that word, that King James word that Baptists have been baffled over for years, mammon. Sounds like something I should be eating. Well, it involves that. You can't serve God in stuff. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in mammon, the food that you thought that was or whatever that is. You can only serve one master. Salvation is lordship salvation or it's not salvation. And in this text, in, in Matthew 5 through 7, familiar passage, Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount. You'll see it there. You don't have to turn there. Trust me, believe me, but please take notes and then go back and look. You'll see that he uses, he actually ends his sermon with warnings. And he uses, he, he warns four times using twos. It's there. It's in chapter 7. And he goes through where we're at today, and he says there's two paths. Only two. The world is full of different paths today to God. One of the most fascinating, palatable, comfortable world theologies today is there are many roads to heaven. And it's one of the, it's, it's the biggest fallacy in multiple religions across the world today. Now, I, 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 I use this name periodically, and I feel like I'm kind of outdated, outdated because, but some of you might still like her. But I think the, the pioneer of this in America was the great Oprah. And I know there used to be a day where everybody watched Oprah. And not everybody. Some are like, no, I never did. I, I hate her. No, don't hate her, but don't watch her either. But she, she started as a, a Baptist back in the day. She was Christian. She loved Jesus, supposedly. That's way back in the day. But then she, she evolved 
into having her own personal priest, her own guru. And then she pretty much established her own religion. And then it was a type of Unitarianism where, you know, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. We're all going there together. And it sounded good, and it made everybody feel comfortable, but it was one of the biggest lies ever told, and she had an audience to perpetuate it, unfortunately, and it stuck. Now, I'm probably giving her too much credit, because she's not the first modern theologian to come up with this, but it's kind of permeated society, especially in America. That's why you hear the phrases and you hear the statements. And I just saw an article, it's old as old can be, but I just saw an article this, this week that asked the question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And it kind of follows that logic. So, you know, why would, a, why would a good God allow someone who thought they were right to not enter into heaven? I, I've told this before, and I, I just want to kind of underline and highlight and put an asterisk by this. It's not so old that people have stopped, but it's not so new that you've never heard of it. But I went to a Christian Baptist college, the most exciting university on, in, the, in the world is what they call what they say. And it probably is, but for different reasons. But I went, I, I had a roommate. I know him still today. He lives an hour away. And hopefully he's got this figured out now. He went to a Baptist Christian school in Winston-Salem his entire life, from birth to senior. He was at Liberty University, the most exciting Christian conservative university on the planet. Kind of. And his junior year, we were in the same dorm together. And he was of the opinion that multiple religions could get to heaven. And his, here's what he said. I remember it vividly. He didn't understand why or how a person could be, and he used this example for whatever reason, a Buddhist all their life, and then stand before God one day as a devout Buddhist, and God send that person to eternal destruction, as we'll see in this, when they thought they had it right. This was, this was not somebody from a third world country who had never been evangelized. This is someone who grew I'm not saying the school taught him that, and certainly Liberty University didn't teach him that, but it was something that in our, in our humanity we like. And I, I figured out a long time ago, and I find out, I'm reminded daily that my humanity is not very spiritual. If I listen to my flesh, man, I don't make the right decisions. I've never been that good. Now, I'll tell people often I was a perfect kid, but I understand I was an imperfect, perfect kid. I was sinful. He says there's two paths in these warnings. He said there's two types of prophets. There's a false prophet and there's a true prophet. He says there's two types of disciples, those who bear good fruit and those who don't. Then he says there's two types of foundations. Strong one built on the rock and weak one built on sand. He concludes his sermon with four warnings in twos. And we're looking at one of those today about a path, about a way, about a gate, about a road, 
I, I was studying, which you should be grateful for, and I found out something I didn't know, that Jewish literature often referred to uh, paths or roads uh, as moral paths. They would use that in storytelling and even, obviously, in Hebrew Scripture. And so, here's a, a couple examples. In Judges chapter 2, verse 22, in Judges, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein. He's talking about moral pathways. In Isaiah chapter 30, the, the major prophet Isaiah says in verse 21, and your ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And then we preached this, I preached this several months ago when we were in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand you in the way and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. But then they said, of course, in Jeremiah, we will not walk there. So through the scriptures, and it's actually in the New Testament, there's one in 2 John as well, where we hear this way referred to as the moral or the correct path. So in this text, I want to look at three really quick points. The first one is very quick. It's in verse 13, the very first part. I want us to notice the call of Jesus to enter. I've read this passage, I've studied this passage, I've even taught this passage before, but I never really thought about this. But I, I want to make a point that Jesus calls us to enter the right, the correct, the straight, the narrow way. He says in his sermon, verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. Now you may not appreciate what I'm about to say, but I think it's there, I see it there. Jesus does not invite us into any gate but the way of life. He says, enter into the straight gate. Now, we're going to understand here, and, and I know we got a, a lot of King James folks here that had the King James Bible in front of them, and that's perfectly all right. But it will confuse you when you see the straight gate and you see uh, some of the other, in just a second, the words that are used. But it's clear, we need to understand, that he's talking about a narrow gate. The first word straight there is a narrow gate. We'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But I want us to really start out by understanding that Jesus invites us into the straight gate. He invites us into the gate that leads to life. It sounds somewhat facetious to say, but he does not invite us to enter into the wide gate. There is no indication in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he wants anybody to enter the gate that leads to destruction. His plea is enter into the straight gate. I am convinced, I am convinced People argue, people, whatever. We can have those conversations later. I'm convinced that God is not willing that any person perish, but that all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. I am convinced that God loves the world. He loves the world, everyone, so much that he sent Jesus, his son, that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
So that's how, why, why are you acting like that's so controversial? You're quoting scripture. Trust me, it's controversial. I'm convinced that Paul got it right when he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm also convinced that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus makes it clear that his desire is for you and me to enter the narrow gate that leads to life. This is a short point unless you need me to explain more because I'm done with that point. I said this a few Wednesday nights ago. You Wednesday night people, y'all get the inside scoop. The rest of y'all, thanks for serving in other ministries because I know that's where you're at. Okay, I'll leave it there. I understand there's different opinions about what I just said. I, if people want to be wrong, they can be. That's fine. Just, no, I, I, I truly understand there are different opinions. Most of the other opinions still do believe that God loves the world and God allows for the world to make a decision. But I'm just, I'm just going to be honest and human enough to say I ain't got it all figured out how God does this. But I can't let clear Scripture contradict what someone else thinks. And I can't let their thinking overpower the Word of God. So I'm going to preach until I don't preach anymore that God loves the world and God made a way for the world to accept His Son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. And I'm going to preach until I can't preach anymore that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today and tomorrow and next year, I'm going to preach that Jesus says He wants everyone to enter into the gate that leads to life. I'm not going to preach that everybody's going to enter it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something in just a second that we talked about a few Wednesday nights ago. And there's some people that think they're getting in, but they brought their own clothes to the party. And he said, nah, many are called. I think I'm preaching that point right now. Many are called, but few are chosen. So I understand that. Is everybody good with that first point? If not, that's all. I'm moving on. The call to enter. And then I'm going to look at the contrast of these two ways. And this is really where I want to preach the next 30 minutes. And that'll get us out. No, that won't be 1140. So we missed that one already. <laughs> Here's where I really want us to dig down and understand. These two ways are starkly contrasted in the Word of God. There is a distinct difference in these two ways. First of all, um, and I want to say this from the get-go because I underlined it, so I got I to gotta make sure I hit this. And, and Tim is the greatest ever, and he does everything I ask and more than I don't ask. And he's got a pretty picture up there. And you probably would never think that um, so much thought went into that. But he sent me one last night, and I said, that's not really the road I want. <laughs> and um, there was a reason. Because I, I, I feel like many times, even believers, Christians, church people, they, they hear about the two ways, and they think of it as I'm going down the road, and there's this why in the road, and I'm going to take a choice, left or right. But I don't believe that's what Jesus is teaching. I believe he's teaching as if we're looking at a, a, a road that has a northbound lane and a southbound lane. And, and Tim sent one last night that had a north and a south, but it had white dots in the middle. Now, some of you failed driver's ed, but somehow got your license. I understand that. 
Based on what my Sunday school teacher was saying, I think he struggled with his driver's ed. But I wanted to make it clear that there's two ways and that they are contrary to each other. In case you didn't know it, if you pass on a double yellow line, that's illegal. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, and there's some former law enforcement in here, that if you do a U-turn over that double yellow line, I think that's illegal. But that's a different point. But I want us to think of these two ways as two contrasting ways. Now, if you want to get a little silly with it, it is a northbound way and a southbound way. And Jesus says, these are distinctly different ways. One is the way of the world. One is the way of a believer. And he says in verse 13, he describes after he says, remember, verse 13, the first phrase is connected to verse 14 because he says, enter into the straight gate. And then you think kind of parenthetically, he talks about the wide gate. But he wants you to enter the straight gate because it leads to life. But in verse 13, we see some of the characteristics of the way of the world. First of all, the gate is wide. He says, for wide is the gate. That word really means wide, broad. It's actually a word for flat. It's flat and wide and wide open. That is the way of the world. And here's what I want us to understand. We were all born on this way. We were born, entered into the wide gate, the way of destruction. Paul tells us that in Romans 5, 8, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He tells us in Romans 5, 12, by one man sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men for all have sinned. We were born entering the wide gate. We were born going down this easy way. It says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. Now, English, we hear wide and broad and they're synonyms. But this is not really the word broad is not as in wide. Because the way, uh, the gate is wide, but this way is easy. Easy's the opposite of difficult. Why do you have to be so sarcastic? You look at us like that, like we're dumb. Because if you could see your faces looking at me. This word broad is not just flat and wide. That's what wide is. This word broad is the word for plenty of room. It's spacious. This way is easy. Obviously, it doesn't have to do with uh, a lot of people uh, or not having enough room for people because we see that there's a lot of people on this way. But the way is easy. It's spacious. It's plenty of room. It's the opposite of crowded. Not just in numbers of people, but in the idea of not a lot of rules and restrictions, regulations. Not a lot of advice. Probably don't like those words, 
Because that sounds like, oh, I don't like those words and I don't like, no. It's to preach it out, there's not a lot of lordship in that way. There's a lot of me-ship in that way. I don't think that's a word. It probably might be something similar. But this is the way where everything goes because you're the boss. Nobody can tell me what to do because it's so wide. It's so spacious. I'm my own man. I make my own decisions. I can do whatever I please. It's the easy way. It's the way that too many professing believers are acting like they're wrong. I shouldn't say acting. That, that, that was nice. They're on. And we will find out in this text, not in my words, that they're not what they say they are. Listen, that's the hardest thing to say in this sermon, but Jesus said it, and he concluded by saying, hey, there's a lot of people on this path. It's easy to get into because you got a ticket when you were born. And it's easy to live because nobody's telling you what to do. By the way, here's where we miss it in the, in the church world. If you're a Christian, it's not the church telling you what you can and can't do. If you're a true believer, it's not, it's not their bylaws and constitution telling you. It's not in the Southern Baptist, it's not the Baptist faith and message. By the way, the Baptist faith and message, all articles are based on 14,000 scriptures, it seems like. But it's not that you become a Christian, I get in a church, and the church told me I can't dance. That's not in the Baptist faith and message, by the way. But it is in Mama and Papa's book of rules that a dancing foot and a praying knee don't belong on the same leg. And there's surely that's in Proverbs somewhere. So do you think it's all right to dance? That's not part of the sermon. So many fun things I could say there. I do think there's a reason there's not a lot of church weddings anymore. And it's not because the cost. There's people getting married in here, so I don't want to mess them up. But the church is pretty much free compared to that $10,000 in that barn with a cow out there mooing. Do you take this man? There we go. That's how far we've come in society where you smell the, smell the farm life and chickens clucking and cows mooing. Don't have any of that in here, but it's a lot cheaper. And I'm a whole lot cheaper. That's not for you back there in that family. Don't, don't look at me. It's all right. Do what you want to do. But this way that leads to destruction is easy. It's not as easy as people think, but there's not seemingly consequences. There's a reason lost people live the way lost people live. And one of the main reasons is because they don't have a view of consequences for their actions. 
I'm, I'm going to be, this is going to sound somewhat political, but it's not about a party or not, so y'all can stomach this one. When as a society, we start teaching that there are no consequences, it reinforces people's spiritual view of a lack of consequences. Because whether or not you get arrested or imprisoned or get the death penalty, which personally I think would stop a lot of the stuff, but when we start having district attorneys and politicians saying defund the police and, and I mean, some of the terrible crimes that they're wanting to pat people on to give them. It's, it's what we see. Sometimes I wish I wasn't live and online because this is archived forever. But when you have a kid in school who does something that they should be expelled from and never allowed to be back on the property that gets three days in school suspension or a kid that's doing something that they would get a beating at in my house, but the principal says, you know what, you shouldn't do that, and by the way, get you a blow pop on the way out. Don't you do it again. You say, that doesn't happen. Absolutely it happens. There's a lot of stuff going on in your schools that shouldn't be happening and shouldn't be allowed. So I, I thought you were supposed to fix that. You're wrong. I don't get paid enough for that. We got people claiming to be cats walking around schools. And they got tails. Not tails they were born with, but tails that they bought and put on their pants. We laugh, but it's happening. We got, we got schools where it's happening by more than one or two kids, and they're asking for litter boxes in their bathrooms. You say, that's crazy. You're right, it is. But if you live in a society where you can be anything you want to be from this day to the next day, you ask for it. We live in a messed up world that's anti-God, that's anti-Christ, that's anti-Scripture, and anti-good common sense, but we can't, we can't argue about that. He said, what's that have to do with this? When we allow it from birth to middle school to high school, and then they get on the streets and they shoot somebody, and we don't want to even punish them because they had a bad childhood? We're teaching, we're reinforcing to the world that there are no consequences. And it only revalidates what people spiritually think about. There's no consequences. There's no God. God surely wouldn't punish you. And it makes it easy to believe God wouldn't punish you when the teacher and the principal and the parent wouldn't punish them. See, all this stuff's tied together. It's not inseparable. It's all tied together. That's why the parents have to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and train them up in the way they should go, which means create boundaries, create a narrow way so that when you get out of the way, you know there are consequences because that's God. And we're to teach them consequences from early childhood. And I hate to say it, but if you put them in a school that won't do it, then they need to be changed. It needs to be changed. You need to have some meetings. This is the way that's easy. And then he concludes by saying the obvious that I've said a hundred times already. There are many 
who go thereat. This road is broad, this gate is wide, this way is easy, this way is seemingly inconsequential, this is the way where I rule my life and nobody can tell me what to do. This is the way that many professing believers identify themselves on when they say some of the most ridiculous things you've ever heard verbally or on social media. They're one and the same today. People say more on social media than they do physically and audibly. You figure that out, right? Some people. By the way, you put that on there, the world sees it, and you identify yourself. And, and, and I, I'm careful how I say this, I think, but you cannot, you cannot be on the narrow way, which we hadn't got to yet, and talk and act like the broad way, the wide way, the way of destruction. You say, well, what, are, what specific things are you talking about? I got a list of them. That's not my opinion. It's the Word of God. Listen. And I know this is going to get some amens and some omies, and so he did went there. But we have to raise this up as the standard, parents, and we have to teach it as the standard so that when my son comes home and says a young boy's wearing high-heeled boots to school, we say, you know what? People do what people want to do, but God says this is the way. So you say there's a verse for boys wearing high-heeled shoes? Yeah. In the beginning, God created them male and female. The end of story. That's it. You say, well, that's hard. That's mean. No, that's the Word of God. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. But if you allow them to choose what they are, that's what you get. That's how you get cats in school wanting litter boxes. Why not? Why not? You say, you're out to, you're out to lunch. No. No. Do not give in to this mess. It's happened, and you turn around, and I, I, went, I graduated in way back in 1992. And I was, a, I was at a basketball game the other night, and a guy that I graduated with, his son was playing basketball. And he told me that in his son's PE class, there are 12 guys in there that are not, not sure if they're boys or girls. This is not in New York. This is in southern Rowan County. My response was, do we need a class for that? <laughs> the answer is no, you don't. This is not as difficult as we make it sound. But here's what's happened. You can, you can call me whatever you want to call me and think I'm off, you know, off the reservation. That's probably not politically correct, but I got Indian in my blood. So there we go. I don't <laughs> Not enough to get any coins from the casinos, but I've got enough. <laughs> I think. I haven't tried yet. But. That is not the characteristics and the point of view of a person that's on the way to life. There's a distinct difference in how we treat that person. That's not what I'm talking about. I've yet to say anything 
to, I haven't said anything mean. Somebody thinks I have. John MacArthur, this just hit me. I told John MacArthur was labeled as hate speech this past week by YouTube because he said, and I didn't even realize I was going to say this, because he said what I've already said. Oh, no, that God created man and woman. He quoted scripture, and YouTube marked it as hate speech. What I just said is not hateful. What I just said is logical and biological. Apart from the Word of God. I've got two kids. I've got a boy and girl. Never in 12 and 7 years did we wonder, and never have they wondered. The only way that happens is when we encourage it. And this is a bigger problem because we're encouraging lawlessness. No Christian, no Christian who's on the narrow way to life should be defending ungodly, unbiblical lifestyles. I didn't say you shouldn't defend their human rights, their civil rights. That's kind of been crowded up with some crazy definitions today. I did in no way said you shouldn't love the world because God loves the world, and you and I were just as sinful as that sinful activity before we got saved. But we got on a different road that I haven't even got to yet. But I think you know where it's at. Listen, don't, don't misquote what I'm saying. Please don't. I mean this seriously. You can, we've got it in our families. I've got it, you've got it, or you know somebody that's got it, where people are living lifestyles contradictory to the Word of God. Does that mean we don't love them? Absolutely not. We do love them. Does that mean we just disconnect from the world and say, hey, let them go do what they want to do? Absolutely not. But that doesn't mean we fudge on the Word of God, because they will never change. I'm not talking about their lifestyle, per se. They will never change spiritually until they know the truth. And they speak the truth in love. You say, well, you don't sound like you're love. I'm pretty, I'm pretty frustrated that we've allowed so much garbage to go on, and I'm more frustrated that there's professing believers who say they're on the narrow way that are living lifestyles and professing that it's all right to live a crazy life on this wide, easy path. So, well, it doesn't matter what you think. You're right, it doesn't, not to your life or death, but it matters to God, and He's the judge. That's the, that's the disconnect. And we start fighting against each other and say, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe. No, how about start saying, I can't believe he said that, but he did. There's a lot of people on that way, the way of destruction. But then there's the way of the believer. Oh, he's going to get there. It'll be quick because you were listening. I want you to notice the word because there, because he ties verse 13 and 14 together. God says, enter the straight gate, enter the narrow way, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. God, through his word, makes it clear he wants you to live, and he is the good shepherd, and he's not like the thieves who came to steal and kill and destroy. He came, John 10, that you and I might have life and have it more abundant. I'm going to tell you, life is not living it up here. That's not life. 
Life is not being as flamboyant with your sin as you want to and enjoying no consequences while you're here. That is not life, although many people think that's life. Abundant life is life everlasting. And he came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I think it's interesting and worth noting that before they were called Christians first at Antioch, that's a good Bible trivia, but before they were known as men and women of the way. It's in Scripture. It's all through Acts. I've got, I've got Acts 9-2, Acts 22-4, where they were referred to. When Saul was killing people, he was finding people who were in the way. Oh, what a, what a, that's a sermon right there. I guarantee you, those of us that are in the way are in the way. That, somebody write that down and remember it for me because that's not my notes. We're in the way of what they want to do. And if they can get us out of the way, they can do whatever they want to do. While we're here. Well, how would they do such a thing? Well, let's not, let's not look in the future. Let's go over here to the past and the present. How did they do such a thing? I'll tell you how they did such a thing. Because the devil sold a bill of goods to churches and pastors that said, stay out of politics. Oh, he went right there, didn't he? Oh, now I'm really ticked. You shouldn't get involved. You shouldn't run for this. You shouldn't vote. Whoa, whoa, why? You shouldn't talk about it. Why? Everybody else talks about it. You don't talk about it. You don't vote about it. You don't give money to the right people. Guess what happens? We got cats walking around in schools. That's what happens. But some, maybe not of you, maybe some of the ones that aren't here anymore, didn't like the fact that we got involved in politics. Problem is, we got involved a little bit too late. That don't mean you give up. That don't mean you stop. Probably shouldn't say any more there. But I think nationally, if we have eyes to hear, eat, see, and eyes to, eat, eyes to see and ears to hear, and half a brainstem, we can see what happens in the last year. Well, they stole the election. <laughs> uh, who, who knows? Who cares? I bet you I can point to some people who say they're in the right way but they stayed at home and didn't vote. Oh, that was nowhere. That, see how everything just goes south when I start talking about that? <laughs> I want us to laugh about it now, but I want us to think of the reality of why we're here. Right. 2012. In my lifetime, and I'm young spring chicken, I never thought it would come to the point where we had to vote as a state that marriage was between a man and a woman. We voted on it. North Carolina still faces some political and financial consequences from that vote, even though some anti-Christ court official judge overruled the vote of the people. So what can we do about that? Do you realize those people are appointed by people we elect? Well, you shouldn't get involved in politics. No, then you get some judge who thinks everybody ought to be anything they want to be, and he overturns the will of the people in a republic where the people are supposed to rule. But you're going you're to lecture me 
and other preachers and leaders that we shouldn't be involved in politics? I promise you, Tim can tell you, none of that's in my notes. But it's there. We're seeing the results of it all around us. But we see the way of life. We see the way of the believer. And it's straight. It's narrow. If you don't hear anything I say about the straight gate, this is the road that's the total opposite of the wide gate. It's harder to get into. And I read some things, and I read behind some people, and I then I put a couple of my two cents in it. It's the way of lordship. We don't look at it, please don't look at it as a list of rules and procedures that we got to follow. No, it's, it's the narrow gate to get into. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the gate. It's a narrow gate. And here's what, here's what I've seen, and I hope you see, and maybe to help you. You can't get in there with all of your stuff. You got to take your backpack off. You got to take your, your sin off. He's gonna t- you got to take your wants and desires off. You can't come in there with all your stuff. You got to drop it to get into this gate. You got to do like the disciples did when Jesus said, come follow me. Drop your nets. Leave it all behind. Come follow me. This is a narrow gate. Church, this is narrow. This is not get in how you want to get in. Yeah, he calls all to come, but not everybody can get in. The rich young ruler, chase Jesus down. I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. And he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Come follow me. And he walked away with his head down, upset, because the Bible says he had a lot of stuff. He couldn't let go of the stuff to fit into the gate. He can get in the wide gate. You can, take a, you can take a U-Haul trailer full of all your stuff into the wide gate. And you can party here, you can party there, you can play here, you can play there, you can do this, do that, and there's no rules. Everything's just right. Sounds like outback, anybody hungry? And so you just go and do whatever you want to do. There's no authority. There's no lordship except it's me, me, me. And many there be who find that way. But narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate. It's a narrow way and it's a difficult way. This word narrow, it actually says straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Straight there is the word for narrow. But narrow is the way the way is difficult because that word narrow is not, it's not so much narrow like it's a narrow path. It's narrow to get into, but the way, the road is narrow. That word narrow means to crowd or to suffer. It's a word for tribulation. That's encouraging. It's not, listen, it's not narrow or difficult because Well, I got sick, a lot of sick people on the wide and narrow way. It's not, well, I got rheumatoid arthritis. Man, this is a tough road. Rheumatoid arthritis is a tough road. But there's people lost that have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going somewhere with this. 
It's a tough, difficult, crowded, persecution-ridden way, not with sickness, but because you're walking in the way. It's crowded and difficult because it's the way you've found yourself in. Because you, listen, you chose to let self go and enter the narrow gate and say, you got all of me, God. That's lordship. And now you're walking and living in that way, and it's not easy. The sooner we get man and woman enough to say, it's not easy living for God. It's abrasive. It's confrontational. It's difficult. And I think God used the right word when he said, it's crowded. It's crowded because there's not a lot of people in a small space. And it's crowded because we are crowded with tribulation, suffering, persecution. You say, well, the way I'm on, I don't have a lot of that going on. Maybe, maybe you're not in the narrow way. Maybe you're in the broad path where everything goes. Listen, it's going to be old-fashioned preaching what I'm about to say, but God does not allow his children to go undisciplined. I didn't say what the discipline is. I'm not saying it's because your tire blew out or your washing machine blew up yesterday. I, I, I found out in my brief yet longer than some Christian life that the discipline, the chastising of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart and soul hurts a lot worse sometimes than a washing machine blowing up. Well, but it preaches a lot better when you say your tire's going to blow if you don't give $20. The travelers are few. The way is difficult. I didn't make 1140. Some of you are like, well, that was so good, I didn't even know it. Y'all heard this phrase? Something similar to being on the right side of history. Y'all heard that? If you haven't been living in a cave long, you've probably heard something. Well, he's on the wrong side of history. Don't you want to vote this way and be on the right side of history? They use it in terms of LGBTQ, transgender, the Voting Rights Act, which is the most, the biggest misnomer, that's a good word, ever, probably in the history of our government. I, I, oh, I need to get like gold stars, Justin, or something for the things I don't say on social media sometimes, because I almost did it the other day. And I probably would have if I'd have thought it would have been well-received. All these voting rights act and vote, 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 vote. How long have we been here? I thought we had all that stuff fixed. How about this? You're of legal age and you can prove who you are and you're a citizen. You vote. I thought we had that. 
Obviously, we don't because we need a Voting Rights Act. The nonsense that spews from some of those ungodly antichrists needs to be called out. They're dividing this country intentionally for their own political financial gain. And somebody, red, yellow, black, and white, needs to start saying it. The, the me- I almost said a non-church word. The mess they say that we hear with our ears needs to be called out because they act like we're all at civil war with each other. And it ain't true, and you know it, but they're doing it for their own gain. If you're of age, you're a citizen of the United States of America, and you can prove who you are, you ought to be able to vote. And I think you can. What does that have to do with any of this? Don't you want to be on the right side of history? How about, how about, don't you want to be on the right side of history? When the history books are written, do you want to say that you were fighting LGBTQ rights? I I thought about that this week, and here's what I thought about. I've heard this quote before. I love it. I hope it's true. Matter of fact, Facebook said, I I did a Dr. Martin Luther King quote, and Facebook said it wasn't true. Probably because it went against what they wanted to be true, but that's a different story. The story is said of Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. Talk about somebody that had an idea of what it was like to be in a fight. Well, I don't like what he did. Well, you, I don't know. Get right. But supposedly he was a man of prayer. I don't know. I didn't know him personally. Some of you may have been around him. I don't know. <laughs> but supposedly he was a man of prayer. And one day he was in his office praying. And Facebook can fact check me or YouTube can. But supposedly he was praying. And in the middle of a civil war, one of his soldiers came in and found him praying, and he asked the question, something to the effect of, do you think God's on our side? And Abraham Lincoln's response was, I'm not so much concerned about whether God's on our side as if we're on his. We've got to look at it that way, church. We've got to to quit worrying if we're on the side of the right side of history and know if we're on the side of God. We've got to be on his side. When it all falls to shambles, what matters is what he said. Because we're all going to stand before him. Not before some liberal antichrist district attorney. Not before some corrupt president or politician. We're going to stand before him. And this is, the, this is the rule book. Can we do it in love? Yes. Can we do it with grace and mercy? We ought to be able to. But we can't fudge. We can't be on the narrow way, church and act and live like we're on the Broadway. Would you stand with me? It finally ended. As an invitation, here's what I want to say. I'm going to say it. I'm going to pray. And if you need to do business with God, you do. The the one thing for the church and for a lost person that I saw in this text, and I've alluded to it three times, is verse 13 says it's Jesus' call to enter the straight gate. And in verse 14, it connects and it says, because straight is the way that leads to life. If you don't hear anything I've heard or you don't agree with anything else, I want you to hear that God's desire is for you to enter the straight way. God's desire is for us to have life and have it more abundant. Question is, do you have it? Are you on, have you entered the narrow way? Listen, to, say, well, I never heard it put that way. I'm just, I didn't make it up. 
that, that gate is narrow. And in that wedding, where that guy shows up to the wedding feast, and he doesn't have on the right wedding garment, the banquet garment, the king pulls him out and says, hey, why'd you come in here with this garment on? And basically, the guy's like, I'm good enough to be here. And no, the king provides the appropriate garment, and it's the righteousness of Christ. That tells me this, when I walk into the gate, I don't come in with anything I have. I got to drop it. It's completely anti-everything we want in life because we want all we want. And he says, no, you got to come in with nothing and I'll put on the robe of righteousness, the only thing necessary. If you've never done that, you're on the path to destruction. You say, well, I, oh, you're trying to fool people into it? No, you don't have to read but about 10 more verses down in Matthew chapter 7 to hear some of the most disturbing words Jesus ever said. It's there. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, do you hear that? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. When I tie that, I'm not making this up. It's connected because it's in the same chapter. When I, when I connect, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I cannot disconnect that from five verses earlier when he says, many there be on this broad path. So I thought I was. Well, it's not about thinking, it's about knowing. Do you know today do you know with certainty that you entered in the narrow gate, Jesus the door, the good shepherd, and you came in and you took off everything you wanted and you said you can have it all, and he put on you the robe of righteousness. The only, the only garment required to enter. You never done that? Man, I'd hate to know I was going to walk out the door today and go do what I'm going to do that I didn't have assurance that I had done that. You trying to talk somebody into getting saved again? Nope. I'm trying to talk somebody into getting saved. But that's not my job. I can preach it, but the Holy Spirit's convicting. And I have no question that He is. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. God, you know I'm as certain as I'm standing here that there are many people, maybe not in this church, many, but there are many people in our lives and our families who are on the broad path that leads to destruction. God, I believe your word teaches that's not your desire. And your inviting people still today to enter the narrow gate the only way to salvation through your son Jesus Christ who said I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life and no man comes to the father except through me God I pray if there's a person in this room person watching that doesn't have assurance that today would be the day they make it sure in their hearts Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, 
please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.